As you turn to the scriptures tonight, we're, we're entering a section of 2 Corinthians that is, is probably some of the most comforting verses in the New Testament. Because life's hard, isn't it? Has life dealt any of you some things that perhaps you don't really want to deal with? You've gone through some things maybe in the last couple of weeks that you'd wish you had been able to skip? Maybe you've gone through some things that you're not even sure why the Lord has allowed them, and yet he has. Our lives of faith are absolutely the most important part of our life. People think that what they see is the most important part of their life. I get into discussions with people all the time uh, about the things that they think they know. But ultimately, it is my life of faith that is going to continue onward after this mortal tent passes away and turns back into dust. And so the life that we live by faith is actually the eternal part of our existence. And so Paul is now going to give tremendous attention uh, to the role of faith in our lives. And tonight, confident faith, we'll pick up faith and we'll pick up in verse 13 and we'll take down through verse 18, the end of this chapter. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for our lives of faith, and thank you that we have confidence in that faith, that we walk in confident faith that one day, uh, when these earthly tents are dissolved, that we're not going to spend a thousand years in purgatory. Uh, We're not going to become unembodied spirits. Uh, We're not going to just disappear. Our candle will not snuff out that we who have named the name of Christ will be alive forevermore in the presence of the God who saved us. And so, Lord, that confidence, would you help us to walk in it tonight? Lord, we bless you for giving us strength and getting us through those difficult times. Lord, strengthen your church, encourage your church tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, excuse me. And since we have the same spirit of faith... According to what is written, and that's found there in Psalm 116, that psalm is a psalm of trouble. It's a psalm of someone whose heart is pierced, someone who's gone through a difficult time. I believed, and therefore I spoke. Why is that important? Because if you truly believe something, you can't help but tell other people about it. Amen? And and I can prove this to you. There are people who right now that think the Golden State Warriors are still going to win the NBA championship. And they're they're confident. They're like, oh yeah, they're still going to come back. Uh, Me, I happen to not be in that group. I think that Kawhi Leonard, who's coming to the Los Angeles Clippers next season, is going to get a ring and then come here. But that be as it may. When you believe something, you can't help but talk about it. We got people talking about the Rams. We got people talking about the Chargers. And we sure have people talking about the Dodgers. Amen? It's like, every, every, it's like oh yeah, it's, this is the year. I pray it is in Jesus' name. I don't know that I can go another 30 years. But when you have confidence... You speak about it. It's part of your existence. When you truly believe something, in other words, you can't keep your mouth shut about it. Amen? I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. And so Paul shifts gears and he he makes this personal. Look, I believe what I'm about to say. And I can't help but say it Notice what it is, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Amen? I don't know about you, I'm pretty excited about that. Because that means the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and took Jesus back to heaven is going to one day raise you up and present you to Jesus in heaven. Amen? Hallelujah. But you know, the church 
somehow is wandering around going, well, I, I hope I make it. I think I'm going to get there. We're supposed to have confidence in our faith. You should have confidence that one day when you have finished your earthly sojourn, when your time is over, when that day that's been appointed to you one time to die and then for you to sit at the bema seat of Christ and be judged for the works in this body, when you reach that day, glory! But the church sometimes, I think, doesn't even know they believe that. It's like, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I actually talked to a guy that professed to be a believer his whole life, and he actually said to me, I think I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven. I don't think I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. It's probably the most certain thing in my life. I I believe that beyond everything I know about science, beyond everything I know about this earth, I have more confidence that I'm going to heaven than this stage is going to hold my weight for the rest of this message. Because that confidence is anchored in heaven. This is anchored to the earth. This will one day perish. I just don't know when. But heaven will never disappear. Heaven is eternal. And so the focus here is the eternal. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us up. Man, on those dark days when you don't know what the world has in store for you, you know who holds the world. Amen? For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. The life of the Christian is is not one that we stand around and go, well, I don't know. We're supposed to abound to the glory of God. We're supposed to walk in that assurance that we're going to heaven. We're supposed to know that we know that we know. We're not supposed to think that I kind of think that maybe. I know in whom I have believed and that he is able to keep that which he's committed to the day of Christ Jesus. It's confident faith. I may not be confident about the economy. I may not be confident about our current trade situation with the rest of the world i may not be confident in earthly peace we celebrate the incredible heroism of d-day today monumental mind-boggling bravery certain deaths we celebrate that people from all over the world gathered there on the cliffs above the beaches of Normandy to to celebrate that event. And they spoke with certainty of the bravery. Can I speak of the bravery with which Jesus faced the cross? The certainty that that victory is won. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Jesus defeated death, conquered the grave. Do you have that kind of confident faith? Because if you do, then you live your life differently and you speak of it frequently and often. It's who you are, it's who we are as the children of God. And therefore we do not lose heart. Now, if anyone had reason, and I want you to think on this for just a moment, if anyone had reason to lose heart, don't you think it would have been the Apostle Paul? He's called out of Judaism. He's called into the marvelous light. He meets with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's commissioned. He's sent out. And the first thing that begins to happen to him after he spends a couple of years in training in Arabia is his life falls apart. He's beaten nearly to death multiple times. He's shipwrecked and nearly drowned. He sticks his hand into a fire, pulls out an asp, and bites him. 
everything about his life seemingly got worse when he gave his life to the Lord. Physically. Mentally. Emotionally. He's now hated by the very people that used to love him. People that want to kill him are everywhere. That man writes, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Look, the simple fact of the matter is, every last person in this room is going to go through one of two changes. You're either going to be raptured and we're going together, or you're going to be D-E-A-D dead one day. Your outward man, your outward woman, that which you are physically is one day going to run its course. And it may be sooner than you think. You know, we all have plans for our lives. As I was thinking on this last 10 days for us as a family, there, there are a lot of plans that were set out for my sister's family. And not one of those plans that involved her life was going to go any further than a week ago Saturday. Happened just like that. Changed. In, in a heartbeat, literally. A brain aneurysm, an exploded blood vessel, and she was gone like that. Is your hope in finishing your earthly plans or is your hope in finishing the race that's set before you? Because if it's in finishing the race set before you, your last breath here, you're going to open your eyes there. Amen? That's the hope that Paul's talking about. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a fatalistic, you know, oh no, I'm gonna die. It was a resolute understanding that this life that we live is as bad as it gets for the believer. That what we experience here, as far as we're concerned, is the worst things that are ever gonna happen to you, and it gets a whole lot better from here on out. And so he was confident in his faith because his faith included not only being saved for today and having eternal life right now, but the glorious life that we will live later. The wonderful things that God does in our lives even today. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Just as surely as your outward man is perishing, so the inward man is being sanctified and renewed every moment of every day. One part of you is getting worse every moment, and the other part of you is getting better every moment. And guess which part wins? The part that's getting renewed day by day. The part that's falling apart, it's going to keep falling apart until you fall all the way apart. Amen? One day the wheels are coming off your chariot, just saying. You're going to be walking around, it's like, oop, last day. (laughs) And I don't mean to make light of it. We've been going through it. But I'm just telling you, the hope that we have is not in this life. It's not in finding a cure for cancer, as wonderful as that would be. I wish we would. I wish that not a single other child would be born with some type of birth defect. I would pray that no one has cardiac disease. But the fact of the matter is, if those things weren't killing us, something else would. You know, there's no cure for a bus going 65 miles an hour. There's no cure for a slip when you're walking on a wet rock in a river and you just knock yourself out long enough. When I was at the camp, I, I... responded to a medical aid call at the bottom of a waterfall not much taller than this maybe 15 feet I held a 13 year old girl and watched her take her last breath she just simply slipped she just slipped That was your last day on earth. You see, as a believer, I look at that very differently when that person knows the Lord. When they don't know the Lord, it is the deepest tragedy that mankind can understand. 
But when someone does know the Lord, it is the greatest joy that you'll ever experience because to be absent from the body, as we'll see in chapter 5, is to be present with the Lord. Amen? That's what's in view. That's the confidence that's being expressed here. And now notice how he compares it. I love this passage. For our light affliction, the Apostle Paul has the gall to say our light affliction in light of his own life. The Apostle Paul is scar top to bottom. He doesn't probably have an inch of his body that doesn't have scars from the beatings that he's taken. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a car. He has no iPhone. He doesn't know what it's like to eat it in and out. But the Apostle Paul can say, our light affliction. A man who was previously a religious attorney, a member of the most elite of Jerusalem, a man who was likely wealthy by human standards, who's lost everything in his entire life, who now owns nothing of any value, says our light affliction. Which is but for a moment is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Hallelujah. For while we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How are you living your life tonight? When you read this passage, when we read this together, how are you living your life tonight? Are you living it expectant of the glories of heaven, the rapture, the return of the church? Are you living it for eternity and with eternity in view? Or are you living it for today and all you can get out of this earth? You see, if you're living it properly for the Lord, then you're living in an eternal state of of ascending, rather, expectation. In other words, my expectation gets higher and higher and higher the closer I get towards the end of my life. My expectation is much higher today than it was when I was 30 years old. Because I look at the world, I've gone through some of that affliction. And I know that I'm actually closer to heaven today than I was when I was born. Because the moment I took my first breath, I was on my way to my last one. It's just a journey. I'm heading that direction. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, I'm weighing this stuff out in light of eternity. I'm not weighing it out in light of temporal things. I'm looking at it from an eternal perspective. Can I tell you that when you look at life from an eternal perspective, it changes the way you see life? Things have a whole different value when you look, that, look at them in context with eternity. Can I tell you that a brand new car has almost zero context in eternity? Amen? Think about it. How long is a brand new car going to actually look brand new? If you take it to Home Depot, one day. Right? You know what I'm saying? How about a house? How long does it look brand spanking new? Until you let the dogs in. Until that first time it needs a paint job. How how about a yard? Everybody loves to put in landscaping. And then you have to maintain the landscaping. You, You see, if you have a temporal perspective, an earthly perspective then everything is in a state of decay. 
If you have a heavenly perspective, then what's going on in the earthly things is only preparing you for the heavenly things. And so it's exceeding in its weight of glory. It pushes you towards that glorious end, which one day is going to culminate with you seeing Jesus face to face. Look, the truth is our our present sufferings may well end in death. But death is not the end of the story. And unfortunately, death is not the end for anyone. And hear what I just said. Death is not the end for anyone. Death is only a determining point of where you will spend the rest of eternity. Either in the presence of the Lord, which is fullness of joy, or separated from God, which is weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. So you can understand why someone who doesn't know the Lord would fear death, amen? Because what awaits them is not good. But someone who knows the Lord, it's so much infinitely better than what we have here. It's like, get me home, beam me up, Jesus. You know, I'm waiting for a little, okay, just push that lever forward, I'm ready to go. And so Paul looks at life that way. The question is, do you believe it? Amen? That's the question that's here. One of these days, you know, we don't really notice these things because we live in a, in a democracy and, and we vote for our elected officials and we have a representative form of government and we have three branches of it. But were we to live in a monarchy as they have in Britain, if you were to have the privilege of being presented before Queen Elizabeth, there is a ton of fanfare, amen? And here's what generally happens. You're interviewed by MI6. You have to go through a complete background check to find out who you are. And then during the 24 hours that you're going to be presented to the king, you are on guard 24 hours a day to make sure nobody gets to you, plants a bomb on you, gives you some kind of poison, And then finally you're brought into the the queen's chambers if you're so fortunate or maybe into Buckingham Palace into a central room and and there's all this fanfare and you're announced and maybe you're going to be knighted and made a knight of of the lords or whatever but you're you're going to be brought into that place uh, of royalty. It's a big deal. It's been estimated that the average cost to bring one person in front of Queen Elizabeth is a little over 200,000 U.S. dollars to bring one person into her presence. By the time you pay for all of the guards and everything that has to happen and the fanfare and the food and everything else, can I tell you that is nothing compared to what's going to happen when you get to heaven. You're going to be presented to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. You will be in the throne room of God. Amen? Amen. Do you believe it? You see, Paul was living with this incredible expectation of that day. He's going, one day I'm going to go see Jesus. And it affected the way he lived his life. Now, I don't know if you think about that, But as I've gotten older, it becomes a pretty big deal in my life. It actually is the thing that gets me through some of those tough days. It's like, one day I'm going to go see Jesus. This is not going to last forever. You see, when you're young, you go, I hope this doesn't end. Most of you probably, if you've been on a a vacation of any length, You know that first day you can hardly believe you're where you're at? Or maybe the first time you took your kids to Disneyland? Do you remember what happened at the end of the day? No! I don't want to go! They grab hold of Minnie's leg or something, you know, and they latch on. I'm not going home! I want to stay in the happiest place on earth! You know what I'm saying? Because they think everything's going to end the moment they leave Disneyland because the whole world is now 
relative to this one experience of goodness here on this earth. That doesn't even mention, you can't even mention that in the same breath with heaven. And it's going to be the opposite. It's like you're going to be, you're going to be kicking your shoes off. You're going to be jumping to see if you can get there sooner. You're not only going to be ready to leave this earth, you're going to be so delighted to leave that you're going to go, Yahoo! I'm gone. It'll be sayonara, not coming back. You're not going to, oh, I just wish I could stay on earth a little while longer. You know, maybe I could just kind of grit my teeth and bear it just a little bit. That's why we call it the blessed hope, family. That's what Paul believed. He knew one day he'd be glorified and standing before the king of kings. That's why he calls himself an ambassador in bonds. He said, that's why I boldly speak. Paul knew that, that one day his earthly travail would be over. And so in order to set the stage, he talks first about God's abundant grace. Look, you can't see heaven without first receiving his grace. And so, and so Paul says, look, I, I, it's God's grace that gets us to this place to where I look forward to, to the end of this earthly life. And it's not a morbid death wish. It is a confident faith that says, look, one day heaven... One day, I'm going to heaven. Notice what it says, for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many just abound to the glory of God. Aren't you thankful for abundant grace? Not just grace that saves, but grace that keeps. Grace that transcends your still ongoing difficulties. Grace that's sufficient for everything you'll go through. Grace that is sufficient for each day. Grace that will get you home. One day that grace is going to lead you right into the very presence of the living God. God's grace is going to do that. His unmerited favor. You're not going to go on some list. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to get in to see the President of the United States. But I can tell you what will happen if you do. You're going to go on a list. And that list is going to get a background check. And they'll eventually call you and say, nah, don't think so. Generally speaking, maybe you might get in. But I can guarantee you this you're one day going to step right into the throne room of heaven. And it won't be because of some work that you did or something that you passed. You're going to get there by grace. Because you had the faith to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that your life was marked by walking in his will, following his word, making that walk that you now walk a walk of his ways. And it will all be for his glory. And, and that's what happens as we live out our lives because it's easy to have our progress hindered if it's by works. If my progress is grace progressed, in other words, it's pushed on by the grace of God, then I don't care who you are, you can move forward. If the way that we get to heaven is by works, we're all in deep, deep trouble. Because some of us are pretty good at doing stuff for God. Others of us, not so much. But the bottom line is no one's ever going to see God because they worked their way to heaven. You're going to see God because God, by his grace, through faith, is going to bring you into heaven by the unmerited favor of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? It's grace to get you home. Amen. You should be applauding. If you want to applaud works, you're in trouble. Now, we praise the Lord for the work he does through us. That's very different than thinking that the works themselves are anything special. 
You remember what Jesus said when he descended the Mount of Olives? He's, he's speaking, he goes and sees this withered fig tree. He says, look, if you guys didn't praise, if you guys didn't cry out, these rocks and these trees would do that. God could use rocks and trees. He still speaks through Balaam's donkey. Present. Accounted for. He could still he can use anything to do those works, but we're going to get to heaven because of his grace. And because of his grace, I'm also going to receive his mercy, which gets renewed every single day. Man, I'm so grateful for God's mercy. Because I don't know about you, but I, I can mess stuff up. I, I can think wrongly about, even as a pastor, I think sometimes we get little blind spots in our lives. And so the beautiful thing here is I've learned, as Paul learned, to just simply take one day at a time. If you start trying to think about everything, you remember what Jesus said? He said, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough problems for itself. The reason he said that is we are to only be concerned with really today. It doesn't mean we don't make plans. It doesn't mean you don't use your head. I've had people use this passage and go, well, that's why I don't think. <laughs> I try to never think. It's dangerous. It's not what it's saying. It says take no thought. In other words, don't overly concern yourself with what's going to happen tomorrow because that's out of your control. It hasn't gotten here yet. And if God doesn't have tomorrow... And if he didn't have yesterday, then you got a big problem with today. He says, so concern yourself for today. Because you can do something in that moment. God's given you that time. Those moments are yours to use for his glory right now. And when tomorrow gets here, use those moments for his glory. But until they get here, concern yourself with today. Take one day at a time. Why? Because your outward man, my outward man, all of our outward men and women are beginning to perish the moment we take our first breath on this earth. They show the stress, the strain. It is your inward man that continues to grow into the image of Christ. And so we invest in the inward because we know categorically the outward is perishing. So investing in the outward, guess what? pays zero return and in fact it can distract you from investing in the inward that's why when people get involved in things that have no spiritual value very often their spiritual life wanes or worse yet goes backwards we call that backsliding right why is that they're investing in something that won't last back in the 1960s and i know some of you in this room are old enough to remember this uh, back when we were still testing nuclear devices here above ground in Nevada specifically, um, there was this run on everyone building bomb shelters in their backyard. Anybody in here remember that time? Yeah, there's a few of us old folks. It was like my grandfather joined the John Birch Society. Now, I'm not proud of that, but he, he joins this crazy lunatic group of people that was absolutely convinced that we could survive a nuclear holocaust with Russia just, you know, raining nuclear weapons on Southern California. And I always thought to myself, what is the point of surviving a nuclear holocaust? That's kind of the way your life is without Christ. We are in the middle of a nuclear holocaust that is going to destroy ultimately everything. You are going to die. You are going to turn into dust. You might as well be vaporized by an H-bomb. And so we're concerned about making sure that we, our backyard has a bomb shelter in it. It makes no sense at all because this world is not our home. We're supposed to invest in heavenly things because those things will survive. In fact, they will thrive. They'll even, in an earthly sense, as we get glorified and close to heaven, we actually get better for the Lord. But you have a lot of Christians who are just simply investing in the dirt of this earth. That doesn't mean you should let your house go or not take care of your body. You know, people always exaggerate these things. I'm not trying to say, you know, stop going to the gym or anything like that. 
But the fact of the matter is, that which is done for Christ is eternal, and that which is done for this earth is temporal, and those two things are going opposite directions. The temporal things will stay here and eventually completely perish. The heavenly things are going to get greater until you're in the presence of the king. So invest in the heavenly things. Take one day at a time and let those days add to your strength, exactly as Deuteronomy 33.25 says. As your days are, as you invest your days for the Lord, they can be strength. If you invest your days for this earth, they're not going to be strength to you. You want to be like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water. You want to mount up with eagle's wings. You want to have God's mercies renewed every morning in your life. You you see, that's confidence in eternal things. Paul was physically aging. He was a great man. But one day, his life was going to be over. What a confident display of grace this man was. What a a manifestation of of speaking what he believed he was. He's walking around going, look, this? I'm not horribly concerned about it. Yeah, I feed it. I make sure it has water. I do my best to take care of it. But I'm actually looking forward to that excellent glory that's going to come someday. The word that Paul uses there in, in verse 17 is only it's not used anywhere else in the entire New Testament. And it means majestic or or magnificence, and he couples it with with the Greek word doxa, which means glory or praise. He says it's magnificent glory, it's magnificent praise. It it is this thing that that happens. It's far exceeding, it's eternal. It's not something that's temporal. In other words, he's saying it's, a, it's of a substance that we don't even have on this earth. It comes from heaven. It's an eternal thing. That's why when we look forward to the Lord's return, we're looking towards him coming in the clouds with, with power and great glory. We're not looking for him coming back and kind of being a little more of the same. It's going to be things this world has never seen before. When the Lord returns. Paul himself was actually blinded by the glory of the Lord. And so he makes mention of it here. He says, look, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He he was eyewitness, just as Peter was to the majesty of God. He he understood fully that there was something so different about Jesus. That that he was not of this earth. As much as he was a man, he was also God. You see, sometimes I, I think that we just remember Jesus as a battered man. I feel sorry for people who so humanize Jesus that they reduce him to just just a man of sorrows. Was he the man of sorrows? Yes, he was. But he's also the Lord of glory. And he's coming back as the Lord of glory. Amen? He's not coming back as the beaten lamb that was slain. He's coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming back to rule and reign. You see, he's coming back in his glory and in his splendor. And so Paul is referencing that. He's saying, look, all of these things are referenced to an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Basically, he's saying this. He said, look, let's suppose that you could measure the glory of God. I don't know how you would do that. But let's say you could measure it somehow. So that in terms of currency or capacity, it would have some kind of weight. That here's like this bucket of God's glory. And what he's saying is if you 
took the glory of God and you put it on one side of the scale of your life and you took all of the misery that you've suffered and you put it on the other side, the weight of glory is going to fling the affliction off of the scale on the other side and you'll never see it. It's like instantaneous, far outweighs. The glory is so much weightier than the affliction that it's as if the affliction never occurred. That's how he's looking at his life. He's saying, look, the weight of the glory is so heavy relative to the light affliction that the moment I consider the glory, the affliction's gone. It doesn't belong on the same scale. You see, when you go in and you put your potatoes on the scale at Vaughn's, they're, they're, they're going to wedge, you know, you're going to, it's like, okay, that's four bucks. The good news is when you put the glory of God, there, there's not going to be a charge for that because you received it by grace. But you have so much of it that it outweighs and pays for everything else that you've ever had. The weight of glory. That's how Paul could get through all this stuff, through all the battles that he went through in his life. It was beyond comparison. And again, I'll go back to the, the, to the British sovereigns, to the kings and the queens. A little history here would be good for you. The crown that was originally placed on, on King Edward is called St. Edward's Crown. The crown of England, when it was first fabricated in 1066 was this massive crown. It had 440 jewels on it. It weighed about nine and a half pounds of gold. And it was so heavy that they put a neck brace up underneath the chin because if you wore it for more than an hour, it actually caused them to go unconscious. The weight of the crown pressing down on the head of the king caused them to go... It's not good when the king snores in the presence of his subjects. It's a pittance. It's nothing. When when we receive the weight of the glory that's in store for us in heaven, it is going to outweigh anything and everything that's ever happened to you. And so Paul says that exceeding glory, heaven's glory, that which is, is visible is passing away. But that which is invisible, that's the real stuff. And that's where that glory is. The real glory is in the invisible. And so Paul says it. He says, look, this present suffering, these light afflictions that I'm going through, are so minuscule that when you pile the excess upon excess of the weight of the glory of what awaits us, it's like, why do we even think about life here? And so when Paul received a beating, heaven's glory was in view. When Paul was shipwrecked, one day I'm going home to heaven. When his friends deserted him, I know Jesus loves me. You see, the weight of glory picked him up in each one of those circumstances and situations and allowed those deprivations, those persecutions to just fade away. He says, look, I I know what awaits me. That's why as he would write to the church of Philippi, look, I can suffer the loss of all things because I know what lies ahead. This man who was detested by the Jews distrusted by the Christians. He he was in danger when he was walking. He was in danger when he was sleeping. There were fanatics and lunatics. There were crazy people everywhere. Everywhere he went, trouble was stirred up. Riots started. False teachers are trying to get him killed. And Paul's going, light affliction. Relative to the eternal weight of glory. That's how Paul got through all of those battles. He even talks about the passing nature. Look, while we look not at things which are seen. Now, you you think about it. It's like, man, the the guy was a little loony. 
how could he not see the, the scars on his own body? How, how could he not recognize he's in a shipwreck? What was it that when he's in prison, he's there with Silas and they're singing? How did that happen? Well, he said, look, this stuff, this is lightweight stuff. Charles Spurgeon one day said, I was talking to my son Brandon today at lunch, and he goes, yeah, I was reading it through this passage as he was teaching his students, and he says, look, at the end of the day, all stuff is small stuff when it's compared to heaven. It is. Now, that doesn't minimize the pain you're going through. That doesn't make the tears unreal. It doesn't make the, the marks of the lash hurt less. It doesn't cause all those things to mysteriously disappear. But it does put them in perspective. Because on one hand, you have the visible things. On the other hand, you have the invisible things. One day, the visible things are going to pass away, and they will be no more. And only the invisible life of faith will exist in eternity. And that isn't going to be beatings. That isn't going to be inequity. That's not going to be unfairness. That will not be people taking advantage of you. That will be no unkindness in heaven. You see, when you look at it that way, even Paul's own religion previously, Judaism, was visible, but it was passing away. That's why it was such a shock to the disciples when Jesus said, look, verily I say unto you, there's not going to be one stone left on top of one another. That was a visible temple. They're looking at this magnificent edifice called Herod's Temple on the Temple Mount, and Jesus is going, that's not real, basically. That's just a building. It's a nice building. But there's going to come a day when that building's not going to be there. Every last one of its stones will be thrown down. Not one will be left on top of another. And they're all going, no way, man. Have you met Herod? The guy built all this crazy stuff. Go up to Caesarea and check out his palace there on the coast. Nah, man, you're not going to get rid of that temple. How many of us thought that the Twin Towers would stand forever? How many people, when Hitler invaded the Sudetenland, said, oh, no, he's just playing around? Ask the six-plus million Jews who lost their lives in the Holocaust. You, you see, we have an earthly perspective that says, no, that can't happen. I mean, look at what we've done. I was listening to a conversation between two guys on a news program today, and they were talking about the greatness of New York City. One day, New York City is going to go back to being what it was previously. That was a swamp. And there's going to be dust. All those beautiful buildings and things that people worship, they're disappearing. But the eternal things, they're going to last forever. So the Apostle Paul says, look, I live my life with eternity in view. Seen or unseen. You see, confident faith is the answer to that which is visible. The spiritual is the real in that sense. For the Jewish people, as they looked at their great temple, they probably wouldn't have guessed that in AD 70, Flavius Titus would come and destroy all of Jerusalem. They had no idea that they would be kicked out. You see, the people that were fighting with Paul called the Judaizers that we'll study in the book of Galatians on Sunday. Those Judaizers were saying, oh, the Jewish religion is going to last forever. They were kicked out of their own land and didn't return until May 14th of 1945. They were gone out of the land for almost 2,000 years. And that land was renamed by the Emperor Hadrian, Palestina. You see, they thought that their religion was going to last forever. That which is unseen will last forever. That which is seen 
will not last forever. And in that sense, the final answer calls for a life-transforming faith to come into every person's life so that we can believe on the name of the only begotten Son and be saved and begin that journey to glory. Because we who believe one day, I, I believe as Job did, I'm going to stand on this earth and I'm going to see Jesus face to face. Whether he comes back for me or I go to meet him and we come back together, one way I'm going to be here with Jesus. I have that kind of faith. Now people can call me crazy if they want. And some do. But I'll believe by faith and let people who worship what they see tell in the end who was, who was right and who was wrong. I believe, and therefore I have that confident faith, that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that those that believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And one day we're going to get to meet him. And I can't wait. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray together. Some of the pastors are going to come up front and they'll be available for prayer. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never made a profession of faith in Christ. You're saying, I don't have any confidence in my eternal destination. But you want to have that. When we pray and conclude the service, just come forward. And say, look, I want to know Jesus. All these pastors or the prayer team leaders will lead you in a simple prayer. Because all you need to do is believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and you will be saved. Because that's what faith does. Faith saves. Father, thank you for the incredible faith that we have. It was brought to us as a gift. Lord, that you, Jesus, on Calvary's cross, died in our place, paid the debt of our sin, and replaced our sin with eternal life and righteousness. And so, God, we bless you for saving us. We pray that you'd work in our lives to get us home to glory. Lord, we pray that the works that we do would bear testimony of your goodness. Lord, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight that does not yet know you, that tonight would be that night, that day of salvation. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen.